I feel like I'm in a prison. In my mind, there's a closet. In that closet is a box. I go to this box at least once a day. I dread opening it, but I don't know how to live without it. In this box, I keep the past. I keep my mistakes and failures, my sins and my regrets. This box contains the voices that keep me from moving forward, all the things that keep me from living. These cards, these voices, have become the very definition of my inner being. They keep me from escaping the darkest parts of me. You deceive. You only care about yourself. You're an addict. You're unkind. You judge others. strong enough to take back control, to let go of these regrets, to just walk away. But every time I try, I hear the voices even louder. This is who you are. You are no better than you were before. Do you think God still wants you? Do you think he still cares? How many times is he going to take you back? You're careless and selfish. You just don't measure up. And I'm pulled right back into the box. With shame. this box to imprison me. The title of today's message is The Lord is Our Righteousness. And we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 23, starting in verse 5 today, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. In the video we just watched, there was a box, and that box contained dozens of slips of paper that said some pretty awful things. At one time or another, many of us have had the same experience and had these same kind of accusations leveled against us, either from others or just our own self-doubt trying to define who we are. Phrases like, you're a loser, or maybe you're a racist. That seems to be popular today in today's culture. You're a liar, you're rude, you're selfish. You're a fornicator, you're an adulterer, you're, you look at pornography, 
something that was said to me a lot when I was a child. You'll never amount to anything. Or you're just like and fill in the blank of, of some person you don't want to be like. You're a failure. How many of us have heard that in our lives? How many of us hear this today? And you call yourself a Christian and you did that. Or you call yourself a Christian and you said that. God can't possibly love you. After all, God is holy. As we saw a few weeks ago, He is Jehovah M. Kadesh, the Lord who is holy. All of these are whispers of the enemies of our soul. Sometimes they come from His mouth, sometimes from others, or sometimes just from within us and our own self-doubt about ourselves. But God has an answer for that this morning. And it's found in the Scriptures. And we're going to read in Jeremiah 23, verse 5, His answer to this. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days Judah will be saved and all of Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Or in the Hebrew it would be Yahweh M. Kadesh. Or excuse me, Yahweh Tiskenu. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought us up, the Israelites up out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of the countries where he has banished them, and they will live in their own land. Amen. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you just take this scripture from the Old Testament and apply it to our lives today. I ask, Father, that as we look to see your name of Yahweh Tiskanu, the Lord is our righteousness, that we will come to understand that it is you who is righteous. It is you who we long to be like. That it is you, Lord, who we need to turn to when we have sinned, when we have turned and done things that, is, that your word has said does not reflect your character that ultimately it is you that we long to be like. Father God, we just ask, Lord, that you be with us as we study your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we read in Jeremiah, the name of God that means the Lord is our righteousness is Jehovah Tiskenu, or Yahweh Tiskenu, if you're really into the Hebrew and being exact. This name means that he is the answer to the question. And that question is, how can a holy God love an unholy people? How can a perfect being be, love such an imperfect people? And where does this idea of righteousness, this idea of holiness even come from? But to explain that, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to study what it is to be a human being. The first three chapters of the Bible explain much about the makeup of humanity. Genesis chapter 1 explains that humanity was made in the image of God, with Adam being the first human ever created and then Eve. So Genesis 1 deals with the physical part of us coming together and being as, as part of the nature of us being humans. Genesis chapter 2 gets a little bit more specific about the nature of humanity through Adam. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says that uh, the Bible says that God breathed into Adam the breath of life. 
The Hebrew word nephesh, which means breath of life, is an intimate description and, and form of, the, of meaning breath of life. It means that God passed something of himself into Adam. And later Eve, as she was created from Adam. Something that was a spirit that set humanity apart from all other creatures on this earth. Now why is that important to our discussion this morning? Because within the book of Job and within other parts of the Bible, in Job in particular, there's a valuable nugget of truth that is buried within all those complex theological arguments, all that complex poetry that you read in Job. There's this nugget of truth that is found in Job 32.8 that Job says that it is a spirit in a man and the breath of the Almighty that gives him understanding. It is that God part of us that sets us apart, that gives you and me that higher understanding and that intellect that is much greater than anything in the earthly creation. That includes a certain amount of empathy and a certain amount of awareness toward what is right and what is wrong in our dealings with others. That's not something that has taught us. It is part of our spiritual makeup. It is part of that breath of the Almighty within us that understands that there is a right and a wrong. Let me ask you parents, what was one of the favorite arguments of your children when you had to discipline them? What was always the go-to argument when they got backed into a corner and had no other way out? That's not fair. Children just have that... that innate sense of what is fair in their minds. What do young children yell to each other at the playground when they're losing at whatever game that they're losing at? That's not fair. You're cheating. That's not fair. What do, young, what do um, teenagers say when you take away their phone? That's not fair. They always refer back to something that is not fair. What do we as adults say when life isn't treating us the way that we think life should be treating us? Why is this happening to me? That's not fair. All of us have this innate sense of what is fair and what is not. It's something that we're born with. It's, a, it's something of that divine nature that was put into us. And it's part of our makeup to recognize that there is a right and there is a wrong. It is, some, it is part of that God breath that is in us. And it stays there until our schools or our media or our culture try to educate us out of it. So Genesis chapter 2 deals with the spiritual nature of humanity, and it provides a source for the third part of what makes us human. And that part deals with our subject this morning. Genesis chapter 3 deals with our ethical nature and our moral nature, yours and mine's individual righteousness. Now to really unpack this, to really understand this, we have to take a quick pause in the message to define three terms. Because these three terms are so muddied up in our culture today that they don't even really mean anymore what they mean in reality. The first word that we have to look at is our central word this morning, which is righteousness. It's defined as correct action within an ethical framework. Now our ethical framework as Christians is the personhood of God. It is the Bible. And so that is what is the judge of our actions. And that is why God can be our judge, because he is the framework that we are supposed to be righteous within. The second word is our morals. Morals are defined as a system of the belief that governs all human behavior. 
And ideally, morals are always absolute. It is black and white. It is white or right or it is wrong. An example is it is always wrong to commit rape, no matter what the circumstances. It is always wrong to commit first-degree murder, no matter what the circumstances. And as a Christian, we know that the morals are determined by our Creator, God Almighty, because they reflect His own character. The third um, definition I want to look at today are ethics. Ethics are moral or their principles that govern a person or a specific group's behavior. But they're not always the same for everyone. You say, what are you talking about, situational ethics? That's wrong. Let me explain what ethics are here. The example is if I see a person, Bernie, if I see you at the post office tomorrow and you're mailing something, and then I see Conrad later and I say, hey, Conrad, I just saw Bernie at the post office. That is not ethically wrong. However, Bernie, if you show up at Black River Falls Hospital when I'm working in the emergency department tomorrow, and then I go to Conrad and say, hey, Conrad, you know, I just I saw Bernie in the hospital, and he just, he's not taking care of himself. His, his diabetes is out of control. He needs to quit eating all those sweets. That is an ethical violation of me being a health care provider and, and violating patient confidentiality so that I would commit an ethical breach in that situation, but it would not be a moral breach because there is no moral law against that. So you see there's a little bit of a difference there. So if you're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, our ethical framework of our global morality is the person of God himself, as revealed from his word, the Bible, and his son, Jesus. Now that we've defined these terms, we've got to go back to Genesis. Remember, Genesis 1 dealt with the physical creation of humanity. Genesis 2 deals with the spiritual. And now Genesis 3 deals with humanity's moral and ethical nature. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were placed within a large garden, and God gave them the job of tending that. Within that garden, he placed one plant, one tree, that he said, you cannot eat of this fruit. That was their moral and ethical principle that they lived with within the Garden of Eden. Lucifer, also known as Satan, tempted them to eat of them, saying that God was holding back from them. God didn't want them to be as wise or as smart as he was. And they could be just like God if they ate of it, and they fell for it, and they ate of that fruit. Now, what Adam and Eve did, was it moral? Did it abide by the rules set for all of humanity at that point? Yes, there was only two of them, but all of humanity at that point had that laid down before them. So what they did, was it moral? No. Was it ethical? Was it abiding by the specific rules within the Garden of Eden? No. And now the important question, was what they did righteous? Was what they did a correct action within the moral and ethical framework they were given? No. To review, Genesis 1, the physical. Genesis 2, the spiritual. Genesis 3, the moral and ethical. So which part of humanity was under attack that day? The moral and the ethical. That was what Satan used to get in to and make humanity fall. The target, though, was the whole of humanity. Satan just used that to get to them. Because without the moral and ethical intact, mankind could not or would not make righteous decisions and therefore would fall under the judgment of God and face eternal death. 
This is a stool right here. If I was to take this stool and knock out one of these legs, what would happen to the stool? It would fall over, right? It doesn't matter if there's three or four legs here, it's going to fall over. It definitely would not support my weight. It's going to fall over. Mankind could not stand any more than the stool could if you knocked one of its legs out. Humanity is that same way. That's why they call Genesis chapter 3 the fall of man. In one sense, one of the three parts of our being that makes us within the image of God disappeared and we could not stand without it. That is why Jehovah Tiskanu, the Lord is our righteousness, is so important to us. God's perfect and moral and ethical nature demanded that wrongdoing be punished. And when Adam and Eve sinned against that nature, the raw, that part of us is what died in Eden. In Eden. But that isn't the end of the story. Thank God. That part of our nature can be restored at Calvary if we just yield to Jesus Christ and accept Him as Lord and Savior. Now back to our central verse this morning. All that was set up for this central verse. God is our righteousness. A little bit of history of what Jeremiah is speaking about in this verse. The nation of Judah had just watched its northern neighbor Israel being ransacked and conquered by a nation called Assyria to the point of no longer being called a nation because they turned their back on following God. Remember after Solomon died, the kingdom split into Jeroboam and Rehoboam, his sons. One part went north, one part went south. part that went north was called Israel. part that went south was called Judah. Israel had just been annihilated by Assyria because they turned their back on God. And now Judah is going down this same path that they did in, in the same sin, the same idolatry, the same hypocritical trying to follow God and still worship and other idols. And now Babylon is coming to ransack and conquer them. They too will suffer that same fate as Israel. They too will come to learn the regret that comes with God's discipline and His chastisement. They too will learn the shame, the guilt, and the prison of regret. Judah was like that man in the video we just watched, dealing with the shame of past actions. Judah has ignored or mocked and killed the prophets that has warned them to repent. They've turned a blind eye to all the warnings that they saw. They've sought comfort in their sin and even increasing their sin instead of turning back to God. And now it's come time to pay that price. There's a principle, in a, script, uh, a principle within Scripture that is absolute and without exception. You reap what you sow. Most of us know this as, 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 we, as we live in an agricultural community. You cannot go and sow corn seeds and expect wheat to come up. If you sow corn, you're going to have corn come up. If you sow wheat, you're going to have wheat come up. If you sow into your sinful nature, you're going to reap the destruction that that sinful nature is going to cause. If you sow into righteousness, if you sow into holiness, if you sow into relationship with God, you're going to have godly things and His blessing come upon you. You're going to, the application that I want to consider for all of our lives today is too many people are living with the guilt 
of the past, even Christians within the church. Too many have ignored the true preaching of the Word and instead chosen to listen to messages of self-gratification or self-propping up. God loves you, He loves me, and we're just happy family. It's like a Barney Christianity. Messages of easy grace, which is the only or which is an easy way to come from the choice of living holy like God tells us to. You may have thought of you that you were the exception of this to this rule, or that God winked at your sin. But then you had to face it. And you're living in that dungeon of regret now. Just like those slips of paper on the video we watched, those accusations or past actions that formed chains that have shackled you to your past or hindered your future in Christ. And if we're honest with ourselves, the truth is, all of us have a box like that, don't we? All of us have a box filled with those reminders of past failures. A box that reminds us of who we really are and what we have done. A box that shackles us to keep us from growing in Christ. But I have good news for you this morning. God wants to take that box away from us. He wants to restore upon us the joy of our salvation or joy of salvation if you have not come to know Jesus Christ yet today. There's a particular thought within today's Bible selection that I really want to pay attention to. In Jeremiah 23, 7, it says, So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer say, As surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they will say, As surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he has banished them, and then they will live in their own land. The application of that verse for us today is that God never calls a people to live according to their past. He always has a great and present and glorious future in mind for those who love them. You see, one of Israel and Judah's problems is that they had been living in the past. They had been living in the fact that God had brought them out of, the, out of Egypt 400 years ago. They had been living according to this covenant that had been 400 years old. But the passion for following God, the want and the desire to live for Him had disappeared. And all they could point back to with their relationship with God was what their grandparents' grandparents lived through. But they had no personal, vital relationship with God themselves at that point. That's why God is calling them. He said, you're not going to live according to that anymore. You're going to have a new thing happen in your life. That after this chastisement, after this judgment that is going to come, you're going to point back to the fact that I am going to bring you back out of those nations that are going to carry you away. And there will be a generation of people that will point and say, because the Lord carried us out and the Lord did a new thing in our life, that they're going to hold on to and cling to that. It is going to be a new thing that God, that God does for them. And they will refer to that restoration as a proof of His love and His blessing to them. That's why this name of God is so important to us. That's why Yahweh Tiskanu's name is the proof that He gives us to tell us that even if we can't provide for our own righteousness, even if we have this box of proof of all the bad that we have done, 
that He will provide for our righteousness. That He, if we repent before Him, will impart His righteousness upon us. And He's able to do that through the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a payment for the wrongdoing of all the sin that we have done. And that's the last point I want to make today is the righteousness that we have through Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know that this, what was the central issue of the man in that video? It was holding on to all that past. It was holding on to all that wrongdoing that he, was, he had done. It was holding on to all those accusations, revisiting them to, in his mind, keeping that in the forefront of who he was. He was stuck in a performance trap. All those notes, all those failures, all those accusations were enslaving his mind into a mindset of defeat. And that's exactly where Satan wants to keep you. Satan can do that through our failures. He can do that for our short, through our shortcomings. But we can also do that through taking pride in our accomplishments that we have done apart from Christ. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul came to this same conclusion. Apostle Paul was born to a wealthy family. He was educated in the best school. If there was a Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, he would, all combined into one, he went to that school. He was one of the youngest men ever to be chosen to be part of the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish ruling council. It was a combination of the government control and the religious control of his nation. And he was elected to be into that. He was famous. He was known as the enforcer of the Sanhedrin. He was the sheriff that came to town to take what was wrong and make it right. He was even born a Roman citizen. So not only did he have high marks in the, in the, in the Jewish culture, he was also a Roman citizen and could call back upon all the rights and privileges that came with that. But then Paul met Jesus. On the way to Damascus to go persecute some Christians, to throw them in jail, he met Jesus. And all those righteous acts, all that law that he had followed, all the fame, all that education, all that pedigree that he formerly bragged about, he described like this. Paul says in Philippians 3.8, he said, I consider that garbage. Some, some translations of the Bible said, I consider it dung that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. And listen to this. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul affirmed that we have never been able to earn our way to God through our own righteousness. We needed a new nature. And that is found through Jesus when we accept Him as Lord. And then God becomes our Jehovah Tiskanu. We're going to watch a second part of our video this morning to close the service. I have allowed this box to define me for far too long. These cards are the version of myself that only I can see. 
This prison has no walls, just my own regrets. No chains, only sins and doubts. No guards, only these voices that will not let me forget. I'm so tired and defeated. I just don't know how to let go, to escape. I feel ashamed of what God might think of me. I can hide behind smiles and laughter with my family and friends, but I cannot hide from God. He knows my deepest fears, my darkest secrets, my worst sins. Maybe the voices are right. Maybe he won't take me back. So I return to my cards again and again. But this time I find this card I haven't seen in a long time. This voice I haven't heard since. Has it been here this whole time? My child, I love you. Your past no longer defines who you are. The only voice that matters is mine. You are my child, and there is nothing you can do or have done to make me love you less. Your fate is sealed with my spirit. You don't need to live like this anymore. Let them go. incredible reality of those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord. God has wiped away your past. And Yahweh Tiskanu is now your righteousness. You can live in Him because all He sees when He looks at you is Himself through Jesus. But you're going to need Jesus to do that. Let's all rise.